Michael, we need to talk about the news in shoes. Rothy's, the sustainably produced footwear brand, has introduced a new collection for men. Whether you are a driving loafer kind of guy or more of a sneakerhead, there are plenty of options for both. Enjoy the new collection at rothys.com. Happy Saturday. It is Saturday, June 12, 2021, and you are listening to Morning Meeting. I'm Ashley Baker, the style editor of Airmail. I'm Michael Haney, one of the deputy editors here at Airmail. Welcome to the show. And Ashley, for the second week in a row, you know what we are. Tell me. We're coast to coast. We're coast to coast. I mean, Michael, you know you've been hosting a podcast with someone for too long when you go to the proper in Los Angeles one week, next week I go to the proper in Los Angeles. We are on opposite schedules, but it is an awful lot of fun to be here. We just flopped coasts for the week, but here we are. You gave me FOMO. Apparently FOMO is a thing again now that we all have lives. I don't know if I have FOMO yet. I have like, not mild FOMO. I still have my commitment phobe, whatever. (laughs) I have pretty serious FOMO. I had to get out here. After I saw you having a grand old time sitting in a hotel room all week, I was like, I must do the same. But Michael, we need to talk about Los Angeles, okay? I feel like we didn't properly get into it last week. You were you were being very reserved about the whole things. You were here working, et cetera, et cetera. I am here playing, all right? And we need to talk. Okay, tell me what? Tell me, tell me. I forgot how much fun Los Angeles is. I am that cliche, Michael, of like every New Yorker in Los Angeles. I'm like a hybrid of Alvy Singer in Annie Hall coming to LA for the first time and backing his rental car into everything at Earth Cafe and Cher Horowitz and Clueless, like having a serious panic attack every single time I get on the freeway. Like I can't, the driving here freaks me out no matter how many times I've been doing it. All I want to do is just walk everywhere in Santa Monica and I see like, oh, 2.6 miles, like not that far. I can go to Dantana's for dinner. I can't. I have to take a car there. Never fails to amaze me how absurd and ridiculous and yet how much fun it is to be here in LA. Yeah. Wow. You really go like the whole distance then. Convertible. Are you like driving like through Beverly Hills, the a little white Yorkie on the seat next to you too? Practically. I mean, I come home at night. I watch Troop Beverly Hills. I have to go to all the cliched <laughs> restaurants. Got to go to the Tower Bar. Got to see my buddies. Got to go to Earth Cafe. Like I've been doing the same LA circuit for like a hundred years, but I love living the cliched LA life. It just puts me in a good mood, but it's so weird to be staying in Santa Monica because normally I always stay at the Sunset Tower. Sorry, Jeff cheating on you a bit, but it's fun to try something else. You know, one of the weirdest LA hotel experiences I ever had? Tell me. This was years ago. And I was staying at the uh, Chateau Marmont at the time. And I just flown in and it was like February or March or something. It was winter. Flown in on like the morning flight from New York. Got to the hotel. It was like noon. And I was like, oh my God, just California sun. So I sat out in that little courtyard and I'm sitting there enjoying the sun, getting my vitamin D. And all of a sudden, I have my eyes closed, but all of a sudden I realize, oh, like shadow must be a cloud in front of the sun. And I wait for a second and then it's not, I'm still in a shadow. And I just open my eye to see like, well, how long is the cloud going to be in front of the sun? And I look up and there's this guy standing in front of me, blocking the light. And he says to me, and I can't really see because he's sort of, you know, backlit. He says, and I'm not going to do a good impression of this person, but he says, I like the sun. Do you like the sun? And I said, yes. And then I squint again. And it was Christopher Walken. Whoa. Speaking of Woody Allen movies, and that was, it was just like, and then he just walked away. That's fantastic. LA has those kind of meet cute moments around every corner, it seems. Yeah. Although sometimes they involve 
a car. Oh, they always evolve. Pulling up next to someone in a car. I hate the driving thing. Like, I I really detest the driving thing. I've given up on it. I just Uber everywhere now. I was tempted to do that, but the surge fares here are crazy. When I flew back to New York on Sunday, I landed at JFK 11 p.m. Okay, I got in the taxi line, right? The taxi line. There were no taxis. I don't know if you heard about this story in New York, but there were only 30% of the pre-pandemic taxis back on the road because the drivers have either given up or they're not making money or they switched over to Uber. So you're getting these dribs and drabs of like one taxi at a time and you know, you're just standing there forever and this is like 1130 at night and it's probably like a 45 minute wait. Something like, all right, I'll check Uber. I check Uber and just to remind our listeners, if you've come through New York, standard set fare from JFK to to Manhattan is $50, right? $55. It's just a standard fare. So you know, like, and then you pay your tolls, right? So you know what Uber was quoting for if I wanted a car right then? And this is Uber X. It was quoting $180. Oh, come on. No. Wow. Almost four times as much. So you're right. I mean, it's, I guess you need to rent a car sometimes, but. Anyway, it's great to be here. Love you, LA. Excited to see everyone. So we're coast to coast. So where are we Where are we going this week now that we've gone coast to coast? Where are we going with this issue? Well, you know, our summer-themed issue has got so much... Should we talk about the shortage of Bain de Soleil or does that make us look horribly shallow? No, the great Bain de Soleil shortage of 2021. Who knew? It's like, this reminds me of one of those stories, remember, that's always trumpeting the fact that there's a shortage of rosé in the Hamptons and it's never true. It's just used to drive up the prices. But tell us, Michael, what's happening? It's a fun piece of reporting by my old friend, John Brody. And this summer, from Monaco to Montauk, the jet set is kind of in a panic because that fabled sunscreen, Bain de Soleil, which gave you the Saint-Tropez tan, if you remember it from the commercials from the 70s, it's nowhere to be found. It's What happened is, back in 2019, Bayer, the pharmaceutical giant, said they are going to cease production of it. And so it was dates back to France in the 1920s. And at the time, Antoine de, of Paris, who was one of the world's first celebrity hairdressers, developed and marketed the forerunner of Bain de Soleil's formula. And he was looking to cash in on the tanning trend back then after Coco Chanel returned from the south of France with an accidental sunburn. You know, And if you're a partial to Bain de Soleil, you know it's sort of, it doesn't even claim to be have sun protection. In fact, there's not even an SPF rating on the actual tube, but it's got its adherence, it's got its fans. And right now, as John reports, it's you can't even find it in stores in New York, but it's trading or being offered online, you know, by on eBay and other sites for up to $500 a tube. As John said, it appears to be the new Dogecoin. But so if you've got some Bande Soleil and you want to make a little extra money, maybe list it on eBay. All right, Michael. Well, we do look horribly shallow by starting there, but I'm glad we did. That is a truly ridiculous story, but I'm here for it. These are the problems of summer now, right? You're making me feel guilty for just spending my free time in this hotel watching reruns of Maravis Town. (laughs) Sorry. Do you know, speaking of of wandering, have you been following this story out of China about the wandering elephants? No. Okay, this is a story that is, has, speaking of summer travel, but it's, it's been captivating basically all of China. It's front page, front and center on all the television. And there's this herd of Asian elephants that for the last year and like 16 months, it started in March of 2020, they started walking. 
There's about eight of them. And so far, they've walked 300 miles and they've left their natural habitat. And they're kind of moving through this part of China and sort of moving through towns and stuff. And so the Chinese authorities have brought together all these emergency personnel and vehicles and drones to sort of like give them safe passage. No one seems to know where they're going, but they're just on the move for the last year and a half. So every time they sort of start to move, they break into the television reports there. And just yesterday, I saw the front page news in China was that the elephants, which includes a baby that was born over the past year, laid down to take a nap. They've been sleeping. And so they've got this pretty beautiful footage of these elephants just all laying down sleeping. But it's just one of those stories that makes you wonder what's happening. It's just the elephants wandering through China. I like that story. It's delightfully random. That's me, my middle name, <laughs> delightfully random. Michael, delightfully random Haney. Speaking of summer, mm-hmm. you're in the hotel right now, but you've got this piece this week about basically, if you've seen the movie Nomadland, living in your sort of own sort of converted uh, van. But now there's this is kind of Nomadland for the cool kids. You've got this story about this new sort of what the cool kids are doing and how they're discovering this new breed of indoor-outdoor hotel, right? Yeah, I mean, I can't take any credit for discovering this because, of course, like all good things, it was found initially by Graydon. But there's a new, I want to call it a hotel startup. It's called AutoCamp. And a very smart entrepreneur from Santa Barbara, California said, okay, we like camping. We like Airstream trailers. Like, why can't we combine the two in a way that's easier for people to experience? He started buying up land. He bought a beautiful swath of land in the Russian River Valley near Sonoma County, California. And then he also bought some land by Yosemite National Park. And essentially, he created permanent campgrounds and bought a bunch of Airstream trailers, retrofitted them so that they have a little kitchenette a queen-sized bed under a panoramic window. He sort of kitted them out. So they have a patio and a little tent outside and a fire pit, but they don't move. You just go and check in and stay in one of these trailers. But it's a very cool concept and it's called Auto Camp. And it's not horribly expensive either. I think rates start at like $189 a night and they've been incredibly popular. And so he's just opened a third version of this in Falmouth, Massachusetts, which is on Cape Cod. And, you know, it's relatively lo-fi in terms of the experience. It's like we're used to checking into hotels like the proper and they have like a private health coach who meets you in the elevator and, you know, is willing to take your blood pressure. Not so much here. But what I like about it is it's got the charm of what an old school American family holiday used to be like. And as I was looking into this, I started really thinking about the fact that if you want a getaway, like a rural getaway, you kind of have two options. One is these excessively high-end resorts like Blackberry Farm in Tennessee, you know, Paws Up in Montana, The Point in upstate New York. But those places are like $2,000 a night. You know, it's completely prohibitive. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have like junky roadside motels that you would only stay in if you're trying to get somewhere else. So I like this idea that this is an alternative to glamping, right? I think that because we've seen these extremes in American travel, we understand why a lot of people are, are going back to the land through these glamping experiences. I personally haven't tried one yet, but this is something I would do because it's sort of a, it's like bringing a boutique hotel to the outdoors. I'm excited because it says, as you report, they're opening Joshua Tree, near Joshua Tree National Park later this year. And then they're also going to be coming to Zion National Park and the Catskills next year. But I mean, I still remember a long time ago, a friend of mine who lives in Montana, I went out to visit him on his property and he had my guest house, as it turned out, was an old caboose that he had pulled onto his land. 
So it was like 300 yards from the main house. But just that experience of waking up and you step outside and there's a, the shower rose outside and you're just like surrounded by nature in the morning and just that vista and panorama. I mean, that's can't you can't put a price on that, right? Just So I, I think a lot of people after having been cooped up and locked down over the past year are now looking for some wide open vistas. And this is a great op- option, right? I think it's a great idea. Or else, friends, you can just come right here to Los Angeles. The city is here to welcome you with open arms. And Ashley will drive you around. <laughs> she'll just she'll just pick you up at the airport. But um, I'll drive you around. You might want to bring some tranquilizers, but I'm happy to help. <laughs> beep, 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 yeah. <laughs> Do you know the Randy Newman song, I Love L.A.? I love L.A. I love it. Yes, I do, Michael. <laughs> That's another one of those ones I'm listening to as I as I drive from uh, LAX in my rental car. Yeah, yep, it's great. I'm so song. happy. It's like I feel sorry for everyone I know in LA because the minute I get here, I'm like, "Hey guys, it's Ashley. I'm here. When are we getting together?" Great. I'll be up at four o'clock in the morning since I'm on East Coast time. So let's start with the six a.m. hike at Running Canyon, and then I'll meet you for seven thirty breakfast, and then I'll meet you for nine o'clock coffee. Like that's how I do it out here. It's completely ridiculous. People who haven't heard from me in years are like, "Oh wait, I guess I have to see this." This person. So I apologize to all of you in advance, especially Kazi David, who I'm forcing out of the house. Michael, like on a hotel note, since we're going gaga for anything that's not our own home right now, we do have a fun piece in the story about the Savoy Hotel in London. Olivia Williams has written a new book on the matter called The Secret Life of the Savoy, Glamour and Intrigue at the World's Most Famous Hotel. Is it the world's most famous hotel? I don't know, but she thinks that it is, so I'm here for it. And so she talks to us a little bit about the history of this crazy property and the bizarre characters that have moved in and out of there over the years. It's fun. Yeah, I love that she's got even down to who had what room. In fact, I like 312 was Gregory Peck's favorite. Directly above it was 412, which was Humphrey Bogart's suite when he came, which had previously belonged to Coco Chanel. So, and for those of you keeping score at home, yes, that's our second reference to Coco Chanel today, but that's just where we are. Michael, have you done anything worthwhile for the planet lately? I compost, I recycle, I mostly walk or take the subway wherever I need to go. On that note, we have some good news in the realm of shoes. Did you know that Rothy's, the sustainability-minded footwear brand, has introduced a new men's line? Tell me more. Designed with an artisanal level of detail and created with nearly zero waste, this is the future of footwear for all. There are two styles to choose from, the Driving Loafer, which is a timely upgrade to the Roadster-approved slip-on, and the RSO1 Sneaker, an American classic made sustainably. I'm intrigued. I've always been impressed by Rothy's commitment to sustainability. Each pair is entirely knit from thread derived from plastic water bottles. And not only are they remarkably durable, they're also machine washable. Exceptional comfort, unmatched style, and sustainably made. We'll take one of each. See them all at rothys.com slash men's. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash men's. Well, Michael, as if we needed any further proof that we are the least... New York is the least coolest city. We have Alexander Bregman here to talk about the sex scene in DC. Get ready. Children, cover your ears. Alexandra, welcome. Thank you. (laughs) That's a phrase that seems like an oxymoron or whatever, you know, like jumbo shrimp, like sex scene in DC. It just doesn't seem like it goes hand in hand. But Alexandra, you've got a great piece this week, which we're calling Fifty Shades of Washington. (laughs) You've sort of pried back the dungeon door in a way on the underground kink scene in DC, right? I suppose so. It's sort of an open secret. Sasquatch, who chose not to comment, who's involved in 
the dungeon activities said that there are a lot of poison pen stories that people want to make this a sensational thing. And really, they're just very normal people who like being tied up and playing with knives. So it's not that hard to acknowledge its presence, even if it's pretty shocking to people who are not involved. And I'm not involved. So I was surprised. Michael, there's sort of a Catch-22 here, which is the sex scene in D.C. seems like something you don't hear spoken about, but the sex scandal in D.C. is another thing entirely. First of all, like, give us your lowdown on what's really going on here. Analyze this for us. Okay. So as I say in the piece, to me, it sums up very nicely with a quote from a Russian who once said to me, uh, let's see if I can say it in one go, but Los Angeles is about looks and money. New York is about money and power. And DC is just about power. So when you pull that into sexual proclivities, it almost makes sense that it would be this BDSM capital, that people who are addicted to power in their careers or struggling with power as they move up a corporate or political ladder would have this release in a safe space. I had to get a FetLife profile for the story. FetLife is sort of like the Facebook of kink. And I saw people named like, you know, Capital Daddy or DC Daddy in Capitol Hill. And it's like, what happened to you in Capitol Hill? Where did you get in your life? Sort of like a house of cards underground, I think. Well, I think I'm just going to steer right into it. For those of you listening at home who may not know what BDSM is, it's it's not a radio station. It's short for bondage, discipline, dominance, submission, sadism, masochism, however. But when you talk about DC Daddy... Not like you know anything about that, Michael. I simply am reading off of Alexandra's piece. <laughs> I didn't know before. Thank you. It's been okay. really embarrassing writing this story. Not that there's anything to be ashamed of. As I've said, you know, this is supposed to be an accepting story ultimately, but it's a very tight-knit scene. And so the first question is like, oh, what are you into? And if the answer is nothing, then it's pretty depressing. So when Ashley talks about the intersection of sort of sexual proclivities and then the sex scene and like and the sex scandals, the first thing in my mind is like, where's a guy like Matt Gates in this or other people, right? Because it is sort of like some people seem to like put their proclivities right out in public. Other people seem to go into this sort of more shrouded area, right? Well, it is a legally operating place. It's private but public, but private, but public. So I think the people that have the most to lose are the ones that won't tell you. And that's an interesting reality here that yes, it's all fun and and acceptable. And then you'll have potential congressmen walk in and, and no one can know. And that's also, I think, a big component of DC, right? Everything's clean and shiny and fine and perfectly acceptable. But if you're VIP, suddenly the rules are very different. So I guess that's a, a closer answer to your question is if you state your kink for the record with no issue versus if you're, say, a Republican or someone who's actively against certain behaviors from a policy standpoint, how do you go into a world like this? How do you relate to that world? So, I mean, full disclosure, I did not speak to anyone who was a hardcore right-wing persona that admitted this to me, but I did speak to someone who had run for Congress about their experience at these local establishments. Look, we're sex positive here on Morning Meeting and at Airmail, right, Michael? But it does strike me as a bit ironic that there 
to go into politics in the first place, you have to be something of a glutton for punishment, right? Like you have to secretly enjoy a bruising. No one gets out of this unscathed. (laughs) So there's a certain poetic justice to it all. Yeah, no, that's why I love it. If this had been any other city, it would be a very different story. But I think there's a reason it's not any other city. I like your idea, though, when you you say earlier, like people have to state their kink proclivity. I think that should be a new thing on the next presidential debate. Excuse me, (laughs) Senator. What is your kink proclivity and will you release your records on that? We have health records. Maybe we need kink proclivity records because then we get a better sense of like where the real psychological profile is, right? Well, yeah, I mean, that's why the Fifty Shades of Grey illusion is good, because if it's done with good intentions, you're not in trouble. It also strikes me that, like, this is one of the very few secrets in D.C. that is largely still under the radar, right? Like, apparently, I don't think it is. I mean, you know, when I was doing the research for this and I would say I would just open with, have you been to the Crucible? And they would say, oh, yeah, I've heard of it or no, I don't know, but so-and-so has been. Like, it. it's not a totally foreign thing. And like you were joking with the debates, I do think that's real. Like, people give their pronouns, they give their kinks, they give everything up front. It's a part of that life, particularly in Washington, I think, that people are exceptionally direct, exceptionally correct. Maybe they're afraid of being, you know, kicked out of Congress with their scandal, so they just want to let you know up front. But it wasn't as underground as I thought. What was really more surprising was the deeper I went into the research, just the extent of people's fetishes and how specific they get. My favorite one on FetLife was the Smithsonian. Like, I don't know what that means. (laughs) Does that mean you, you just really love art? Does that mean you want to like mess around in the Smithsonian? So I don't know. Maybe it involves something with Ben Stiller and Night at the Museum. Maybe. Sexy night at the museum. Yeah, I want Ben Stiller and Robin Williams to come for me. I don't know. Wait, did you ever encounter anyone who like had a a serious fetish to be dominated by a member of the opposition? Like, is that a thing? So the would-be congressman that I spoke with didn't expressly say that, but we did start talking about like bipartisanship and how, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it got, it got crazy. Like, Do you mean like, so does is his bipartisanship involve the house whip? At any point or? (laughs) If I'd gone to the events, I'd probably be able to answer that. I'm sure if you wanted to have, you know, a Senate whip party, a Senate themed whip party, you could make that happen. I've been keeping an eye on the events at the Crucible on FetLife and that has yet to come up. So I'll let you know when it does. Please do. We await news on this subject with bated breath. I guess what you're saying in DC, as long as you keep it separate, anything goes, right? As long as you're discreet, as long as you're playing by the rules of the establishment versus the rules of society. Yeah, can you imagine what our lives would be like if you were totally free from stigma? And we've seen that in other liberation movements through the 20th and 21st centuries, how much of an impact that can have. If someone like Jerry Kushner is not afraid to be themselves wholeheartedly in the sexual way, what would that impact be on policy? Or conversely, if they are so terrified of who they really are, say on the, you know, the far right, what does that mean for regular Americans? So yes, it's this microcosm of tension that has a resounding impact, I think. Fascinating stuff. Jokes aside and everything, but it is true. It's just like once you've got the thing that you think is such a secret that that is maybe a source of shame or whatever for you or weakness, but once it's out there in public, what would it do for the discussion you would lead and how you would approach policy 
about things, right? Rather than being duplicitous or sort of trying to wedge yourself into a box for what people want to see, right? Yeah, and maybe you just wouldn't be so angry. That's the joke, right? Like, why do you have this need for power, this need for rage? What are you hiding? Are you hiding the fact that you need to hide? Is this a Bogart situation from Harry Potter where the only thing to fear is fear itself, the only thing to be ashamed of, the only thing to feel angry about is anger itself? I don't know. So, yeah, I went I went pretty uh, deep into this, but I, I don't know. I don't know that I will write about it or pursue it again. I'm looking forward to deactivating my FetLife profile and getting out of this world. (laughs) Well, great. Well, Alexander, thank you so much for joining us. It was a treat to speak with you about this. And uh, Michael, we'll continue to follow this matter. I'm not on FetLife. Alexander's going on. Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for laughing with me. I really appreciate it. And I hope people like the piece. It's a great illuminating piece of what I feel is not to call it a subculture, but a part of the culture that has more impact on society than we realize. So thanks for shining a light on it. Michael, I know what we should talk about. In the realm of hotels, those of you in New York, please make sure to stop by the Mark Hotel. It's on 77th and Madison because you're going to be able to drink airmail. That's right. That's right. We have gone into the coffee business. We've launched a Jet Fuel Roast in partnership with the good people over at Flying Coffee, which is a new coffee brand that is just launched and it's delicious. It it actually smells and tastes like the cliche of coffee. It just like awakens the senses. Anyway, but we have outfitted this Italian Piaggio Ape into an airmail branded coffee cart and you can order a cappuccino. You can order an espresso. You can order an Americano. You can even order tea. We even have tea. And it's going to be trotting all over Manhattan this summer, and it may even make some trips out to the Hamptons and out to Connecticut. So you can follow along online at the hashtag Airmail Express. And of course, our Instagram's got plenty of dish on this matter as well. But it's the cutest little thing, Michael, and it's such a fun way to order coffee. And it's at the Mark Hotel, and it's going to move to Charlie Bird downtown on Wednesday of this week. And then it goes to Pasquale Jones through the remainder of the week. So we'll keep you updated on its progress. Coffee on the go, airmail on the go. You even get, we even have a special print edition, limited quantities of, of airmail's print edition that you can get there as well. Yeah, we, Graydon said when we launched airmail that he was never going to do anything in print again. Too bad. Here we are with the broadsheet and it's really, really fun. It highlights the best of New York. And of course, it's a limited edition and they're in fact hand numbered. So get yours and don't even think about using it to wrap up flowers because it's obviously a collector's item already. All right, Michael. Well, do you have anything at all that you could recommend for us? I have a couple of things I can recommend. Before that, I, I also just want to tell you again, like this is on the arts and culture beat, how excited I am, I think, in New York. Some great news came out this week. Number one, Broadway's reopening even sooner than we thought. Yesterday, Bruce Springsteen announced he's bringing back for a limited run his Broadway show coming on in July. So that is a great step forward for the city and for Broadway. So super excited. I'm sure the tickets are already going to be sold out. But if you have never seen it, I urge you to do whatever you can to see it. It's a fantastic show. Number two, there's going to be a big, they just announced yesterday that Clive Davis, the great music mogul has been brought on to pull together a star-studded concert in Central Park, the place that you've seen Simon and Garfunkel and Diana Ross and other stars across the years. But it's going to be New York is coming home. Big concert. Multi-stars are not saying who yet in late August. So that's going to be a great sign for the city. 
If you need more great songs from the city, In the Heights, the Lin-Manuel Miranda movie version of his first musical opens up this weekend. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. But speaking of recommends, Ashley, I've got two, and I'm going to rely on our contributors. This last week, our contributor, Doug McGrath, recommended a movie from 1939, which is often seen as one of the great movie years ever when Gone with the Wind, Wizard of Oz, Goodbye Mr. Chips, all these great movies were released. But he says there is a great one that is often overlooked, and he thinks it's one of the great romantic comedies ever. It stars Claudette Colbert and Don Amici, and it's a script by Billy Wilder and Charles Brackett. It's called Midnight, and it's on the Criterion channel right now. If you get the Criterion channel, it's, as I said, romantic comedy. Claudette Colbert plays a woman who recently suffered a gambling wipeout in Monte Carlo. She shows up in Paris, and she's befriended by this taxi driver played by Don Amici, and she soon not to give any spoilers, sort of tumbles into a relationship with a very wealthy man. And as Doug says, unlike so many comedies that rely on sight gags or jokes, Midnight derives much of its charm from the twists in its deftly plotted story. He says, it's like a meal where every few minutes a waiter arrives with a silver dome plate under which is always something new and delectable. So highly recommend that. My second comes from... Lisa Hendrickson, who writes in our books column every so often with a regular, she covers murder mysteries in her Murder They Wrote column. And this week, she's got a great book called Hostage by Claire McIntosh. And as Lisa says, you probably shouldn't read this on the flight wherever you're going this summer. Probably save it for the beach because she says it reminds us in the scariest way possible that the worst things can happen on an airplane. And the plot is very simple. There's a flight attendant who midway through a flight from London into Sydney receives a heart-stopping note. Either she gives as yet unidentified hijackers access to the pilot's cabin or accomplices back home will harm her daughter. And as Lisa says, this is one of the summer's must-reads, but you'll want to enjoy it with the tray table locked. So if you're looking for a good thriller to read, that's what Lisa recommends for us right now. Gosh, Michael, you're you're all over it. Sheesh, I've got nothing compared to that. I'm just like living my best life in LA trying to find a place to buy a new pair of sneakers. No, all I've got for you is this, Michael. I'm rereading the summer. I'm rereading The Bonfire of the Vanities, which I haven't read in about 10 years. It's more fun than it ever was. And it's a great, great, great piece to read about, especially in the context of post-pandemic New York. Tom Wolfe's classic. Anyway, just a little thing there. I reread that like two years ago because a friend of mine told me it still held up. And he was right. It still holds up. You think it's going to be this kind of period piece, but in many ways, it's, it is that Dickensian marvel. It's of a period, and yet it's, it holds up, I think, because, of course, it gets at human behavior, which doesn't matter if you're writing about the 1980s or the 1880s. Human behavior is as seen through the lens and the eye of someone like Wolf or Dickens. They're still laser focused on it, right? Yeah, 100%. Michael, on that note, I probably better... I've got to go. I've I've got my third coffee date of the day heading my way very soon. But we love LA. We love New York. uh, We love all of our listeners. And Michael, please read us out. And happy weekend, everyone. And finally, thank you to Rothy's, our partner on this episode. (music) 
Morning Meeting is produced by Airplay Productions and edited by Jesse Cannon. Our co-editors are Graydon Carter and Alessandra Stanley. Our chief operating officer is Bill Keenan, and our deputy editors are Nathan King and Chris Garrett. Emily Davis is our CMO, and our music supervisor is Randall Poster. Speaking of music, our theme music is The Cute Monster by the Buddy Colette Quintet. A new edition of Airmail is published every Saturday, so please do subscribe and enjoy all of our stories on airmail.news, which we update every day. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Airmail Weekly or at Ashley Claire Baker or at Michael underscore Haney. We will be back here next Saturday with another edition of Morning Meeting. In the meantime, be sure and subscribe at Apple Music or Spotify. But most of all, thanks for joining us.